0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials.
1: Today, we're talking consumer goods.
0: Wild Card
1: Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Tuesday, May 18th, and I'm the host of this consumer goods episode, Emily Flippin. Today, I am joined by Fool.com, ho hum hitter of hidden humdrum hazards. Oh, I was so close. <laughs> it's Brian Feroldi here to discuss the newly public consumer goods company, The Honest Company. Brian, you got me. You got me that time.
0: Thanks, Emily. Um, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be moonlighting on the Tuesday night, Tuesday show.
1: Hardly moonlighting. You had the great idea to talk about this company today, and I'm really excited to have you on the show. All of our listeners love hearing from you, and I loved learning about this business and its co-founder, who is apparently famous, who I was just blissfully unaware of for so many years. So it should be a good, fun show.
0: Listeners, I literally pitched Emily and said, hey, we want to talk about The Honest Company. It's co-founded by Jessica Alba. And Emily said, who's that?
1: (laughs) 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 Well, I I feel like a much more informed person today because the first probably three or five pages of this S1 We're basically the Jessica Alba story. So this is certainly her company. She's no longer the CEO of it, but very much this was a company founded, led up by Jessica Alba and her personal experiences. So while I may not be familiar with her and her work the way that most people probably are, I feel like I know her a bit as a person and as a businesswoman. And it was fun kind of reading the first pages of this S1 to get a sense about who she is.
0: And for those that aren't familiar I guess it's not all that surprising uh, Jessica Alba is a famous Hollywood actress but she spent the bulk of her career really the, the things that she's most well known for was in the late 90s and kind of throughout the 2000s over the last 10 years she has been doing appearing in films and movies but not nearly as much as she was previously I think a big reason why there is because she has been focused on the honest company so it makes sense that if you haven't been paying attention for the last 10 years you're not as familiar with who she she is.
1: And I'm curious. As you poked through this S1, I mentioned at the start of the show, this is a newly public company, so all the information we're we're going through today is is off of this business's S1. Um, what stood out to you about the backstory here for the Honest Company?
0: Well, yeah, Jessica Alba was pretty honest, honest with why <laughs> she founded the the uh, the Honest Company. Uh, so. Her founding story is actually quite interesting. Uh, Jessica Alba herself as a kid had severe asthma and allergies, uh, so much so that she was regularly in and out of the hospital. I mean, her allergies and her asthma were that bad. And at the time, I mean, this is when she was a kid, there weren't any products on the market that she could really consume to make her better. So she was forced to use all the same consumer products that all of us use all the time. And just for her body, she had some severe uh, reactions to them. Uh, Thirteen years ago, uh, she became a mom. Uh, she became pregnant, and she was really worried that her kids were gonna have the same reaction to consumer products uh, that she did. She tried making her own products she tried connecting with people online. Uh, she even went to Washington and lobbied for uh, for legislation to be made so that certain chemicals would be banned. Uh, that was unsuccessful. So I love the way that she found uh, she started the, the opening letter here. she says I founded the honest company because I had to. It's not like she was an entrepreneur with this g- great idea and she wanted to go out there and do it. She literally could not find on the market the products that she wanted to consume, so she built the company. Love that story.
1: I do love a good backstory. Um, the thing that stood out to me was was a quote here, also from Jessica Alba, which was, "I wanted Honest to be built on a type of business model that I had never seen created before, a mission-based." for-profit model that addresses health equality, sustainability, and social injustice. And I thought that was really interesting, the idea of making this a for-profit business that's mission-focused. With that in mind, let's talk about the mission statement. I <laughs> i read through this. I was not going to mention it, Brian. I, I had some thoughts about their mission statement, but I thought, Look, nobody wants to pull up their podcast and listen to me rant about a mission statement, so I'm just not going to touch on it. But then I'm looking at the outline this morning, and you so beautifully copy-pasted it in here, and I can't not comment on this mission. The mission is to inspire everyone to love living consciously. And moving past the fact that this feels like a Feroldi title that you can't say 12 times fast because you're going to stumble, is that a good mission statement? Because you have more experience here than I do to love living consciously, that tells me nothing about the business. I get that mission statements are supposed to be broad, but this one was broad to the point of completely meaningless to me, which was, in my opinion, an interesting choice for a company that was built to be mission-based.
0: I highlighted this because I love mission-driven companies. So many investors believe that they are just Lip service. They, they breeze right past that and they kind of view it as something that the HR team made the company talk about and made them put on the website. I understand why that is the case. The reason is most mission statements are exactly that. They are just corporate fluff. To me, I've come to realize that a great mission statement is one of the most powerful decision-making tools and stakeholder alignment tools that exists. If you are a mission-driven company and you can create a mission statement that's simple, inspirational, and optionable, not only can you get your suppliers, your employees, your shareholders, your community, everybody focused on the same thing, but it also empowers lower-level employees to make decisions. If you were an employee at Honest Company and you had to make a decision about a supplier to choose or a new product, you ask yourself, does this product or does this decision inspire uh, everyone to live, love living consciously? If the answer is yes, you do it. If the answer is no, you don't do it. Now, I agree with you that this is more vague than I would like to like to see it, but I did want to point out that this is clearly a mission-driven company, and in my book, that's a positive.
1: I, I love that. And I also love that we're of two minds here. I think my issue with this mission statement in particular is that I think my Pinterest page could inspire everyone to love living consciously. I don't know what that has to do with making a consumer packaged goods business that sells, you know, tons of, of sustainable diapers. It's not bad, but to me, it was, it felt meaningless, but I, I I will digress. This is not going to be a 30 minute Emily rips into the mission statement of the honest company show. So we can move on.
0: Yeah, this company is pricey and no big surprise there given that this is a popular consumer brand plus the environment that we are still in. Valuations have come down. They're still high in absolute terms. But yes, uh, the Honest Company came public on May 5th. Uh, the ticker symbol is HNST. Uh, the, the stock priced at about $16. So the company raised about $385 million after accounting for fees. What's notable about that is that the bulk of that capital is not going to the company. It's actually going to cash out existing shareholders and private equity firms. So The company is raising capital. They raised about $96 million in total. However, the remainder, that $289 million in extra, uh, that went to a private equity firm and a venture capitalist. That's why reading the statements are important, because it's important to know, where is that capital going? In the best-case scenario, a, man, a company says, we're raising capital so that we can fund our operations and expand, and they keep all of that money for themselves. In the worst-case scenario, the company gets none of that money and it's just used to cash out shareholders. So This, to me, is a net negative for the company. Uh, yes, they are. They did IPO and they do have a liquid market-, market for their stock, but I wish that all of the proceeds were going to the company and none were going to existing shareholders.
1: A, a fair argument, I think, in in this case. But what is important about this business is, as you mentioned, they're a consumer goods business. So, you know, despite I guess the the cash out that's happening, there's some value in the awareness that Honest Company has in consumers' minds, and we can get into some of the numbers here that I think are really telling about the market opportunity. But before we do so, let's maybe explain the core business a bit. We keep saying consumer goods business, but it's so broad. This is the consumer goods industry focus show, so let's clarify. Um, the three main business categories here are diapers and wipes as one, skin and personal care as a second, and household and wellness as a third. And those each represented 63, 26, and 11% of their 2020 revenue. So in in case you can't keep up with numbers like I can't when people spew them at me, that means about 63% of their revenues are coming right now from diapers and wipes. And that operates as the top of the funnel for the honest company, so bringing in diaper purchases, getting them familiar with the brands, you know, mostly new parents in this case, and then getting them to expand their purchases elsewhere. It's an interesting business model, I can't say, I remember the last time we covered a company that did 60% sales in diapers and wipes.
0: And you understand why it came that way. Again, Jessica Alba f- founded this company years ago as she herself was a new mother. So the products that they've rolled out kind of match out what was happening with her life uh, at at the time. But yes, two thir- almost two thirds of sales are generated from diapers and wipes. That's a very competitive market. Honest uh, stands stands apart by uh, offering, you know, the best materials, the best, pro- the absolute best products. You can actually go on their website and pick out the style of the diaper that you want. It's delivered directly to your house. You can do a subscribe and save, and this is all hypoallergenic and organic, and basically every box that you could potentially check as a consumer if you were worried about um, allergies. That is their, again, their their core product, their primary product that really gets them into a consumer's house. What's notable about that is that really builds the relationship between the brand and the consumer, and it gets them in the door. Uh, From there, uh, Honest says that uh, nearly 50% of consumers end up purchasing two or more non-diaper products. So the diapers are almost like a loss leader to get the foot in the door. And it's really the start of the relationship with the Honest Company.
1: It is an interesting model. And they also have partnerships with um, other retailers, you know, their omni-channel approach to help grab that brand awareness. 55% of their revenue comes through digital channels, but another 45% of that, so nearly half-half, are coming from retail. And Their retail partnerships include businesses like Costco, Target, Amazon. They're in over 3,200 retail locations across the U.S., Canada, and Europe, mostly in the U.S. Uh, The thing that really stood out to me there was that a third of sales came directly from Honest.com. So Presumably, that 50% of people who you mentioned that were purchasing two or more non-diaper products. They came in, they bought the diaper maybe at their local Target or wherever it is that they're doing the shopping, became familiar with the brand and then went out of their way, right? just ordered online to get other Honest products. That's kind of how I pictured it in my mind. Some pretty impressive metrics there when you look at how their consumers come into the Honest ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And I'm glad that you that you highlighted that. That's a very high number to have 33% of revenue coming directly. That's margin that the company itself gets to capture that it doesn't have to share with Costco, Target, or Amazon. And it makes sense that this is a digital first uh, company because one of this company's biggest assets, spoiler alert, is Jessica Alba herself, and she maintains a massive presence on the internet and social media. She has over 37 million social media followers and... Many people essentially equate her name with the brand of this company. So that's a powerful lever that this company has from a marketing angle, is to pull people directly into the website. So again, they are not forced to share their, their margin uh, with retailers. Now they do want to be an omni-channel company. So while they started as a digital first brand, to your point, they have expanded relationships with Costco, Target, Amazon, and I'm sure there will be uh, more of those partnerships to come. But I love it when a company is getting, I love that this company is getting that much of its digital sales from consumers going straight to honest.com because again, that's margin that this company keeps for itself.
1: Yeah, and when you look at their long-term strategy here, what is also really interesting is that their ACV, their All Commodity Volume, which is a metric retailers use to look at the availability and awareness for distribution of their products, they're only at about 40% ACV right now, whereas most other consumer goods companies are closer to 90 or even 100% ACV, which really shows the lack of distribution that Honest has right now. That could be perceived as a bad thing. Right. But I think when you look at this cycle that somebody goes through, right, picking something up at their retailer and then eventually going directly to honest.com to make that purchase, increasing distribution alone is a great opportunity for them because it lets them bring people in on the diaper front before expanding their relationship with them on higher margin
0: products. And the company also has a subscribe and save subscription purpose uh, product, so you can imagine, like you said, you not ever hearing of the Honest brand, walking into a Target, finding them, seeing the box, realizing that this brand kind of fits what you're looking for, opening up the box, and then say, "Hey, order from Honest.com," and you can save seventeen percent and get these automatically delivered to you, and pick out uh, your style. That can open up some new customers uh, for the company. One other thing that I thought that was interesting about uh, this business that that stood out to me, uh, you noted that their major categories are diapers, number one, uh, skin and personal care, number two, and household and wellness, uh, number three, in that order. But 22% of the revenue that this company generated in 2020 was generated from products that were introduced that year. So these products were introduced to the market and instantaneously became uh, a driver of 22% of sales. I love that this company is already looking beyond its core categories and has a history of rolling out new products successfully
1: and the market opportunity is only getting bigger. I'm actually kicking myself right now because last week I had driven down to visit family for the first time in nearly a year and a half, now that we're all vaccinated. saw my cousin who recently had a baby, a three-month-old uh, baby, and I did not ask her about The Honest Company. and That was a stupid mistake. I would have loved to have her opinions and thoughts before coming into this podcast today. But the market opportunity is growing. and I, I mean that not just because of the COVID 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 baby boom that we saw happen over the last year, but actually because of the opportunity within clean and natural products alone. So when you look at the Honest Company and how they break down their addressable market, they're not talking about the diaper market or the skin personal care markets, which are huge opportunities, I actually like how honest they were in talking about the much smaller market size that is the clean and natural diapers, uh, household care, you know, wellness products, which is around $17 billion in the U.S. right now. So it's a small market, but it's rapidly growing. And that's exactly the kind of niche that a business like Honest thrives in.
0: These products like remind me very much of like the organic food penetration rates when it comes to traditional food. They are still, uh, while the last say 20 years have seen huge growth in these categories on a percentage basis, they are still the minority of sales. So only 11% of of diaper sales are considered quote unquote natural, uh, and only 14% of care products are considered uh, natural. These numbers are continuing to grow, and I expect them to grow for a long, long time, especially as as uh, as millennials uh, increase their buying power, these are categories that millennials are clearly willing to spend money on. So That is a macro trend that is working in this company's favor.
1: The thing that perhaps blew my mind the most in this S-1, and I have reservations, I will get to them, but I have to highlight this. Was the unaided brand awareness that this business has? So, this is when they go out to their target demographic, right? A company or a third party researcher will come out and they'll say, Hey, list all the diaper brands that you know. And they'll list them unaided. They had a 25% awareness rate, unaided awareness rate within their target markets for their diaper products. That is amazing. I don't think I've ever heard of that level of awareness before, and that's really impressive when you consider that they have less than five percent in market share in each of their key segments right now.
0: Yeah, that really just shows you the power of having a celebrity at the top of your of your business. And again, when it a comes a celebrity, who is she? <laughs> <laughs> a celebrity to some people, Emily. I guess I should say. Uh, yeah, when it comes to a, a business like, like this, we're gonna get into the competition later, but. I don't think it's a secret to say there's a lot of competition in every single category that this company competes in. When it comes to how does a company stand out or stand apart from each other, there's really only a few ways that they can do it. Distribution is one, and that is, a, that is an area that this company is obviously well behind some of its big-heeled competitors, but should get better over time brand is two, And that's great to see that the honest brand is already producing that level uh, of awareness. But number three is got to be marketing. And when I say marketing, I don't say traditional marketing, which spending billions of dollars on the Super Bowl ads or anything like that. I'm talking about organic social media marketing. And that I think is a key strength for this company, again, solely because of the founder and her 37 million followers, which is a number that continues to grow over time
1: and maybe a quick clarification point because as we tape here over Motley Fool live which Motley Fool subscribers will be familiar with i'm already seeing that there's some confusion between the company we're talking about the honest company and honest tea which is a brand owned by the coca-cola group so they do not produce kid food, although I could see a, a, a situation in which they'd be successful given that this is their target market, right? New parents and kids. Uh, but right now it is mostly diapers, you know, personal care, household wellness products. Think about it when you're walking that aisle and target that's aimed at, at kid products. This is the dark t- target demographic that they're going with. And what's probably further worth noting is just how US centric this business is. In fact, as we tape, I'm sure our US-based listeners right now, it's industry-focused, probably have heard of this business, especially if they're new parents. But I bet a lot of international listeners are thinking to themselves, what is this company? What is the honest company? And they actually highlight international growth as a great opportunity for them in the future. Only 2% of revenue right now comes from outside the United States, which is in Canada and Europe. And they, quote, plan to use Jessica Alba's influence to reach Asian markets. And I'll tell you what, I'm not sure if that feels like much of a cohesive strategy to me, but if she's as famous as you say she is, then maybe I'm wrong.
0: I'm not very familiar with how famous Jessica Alba is in Asia, but I do know that she is a brand ambassador for basically the entire category of, of wellness or an organic and, uh, and hypoallergenic products. So if the company thinks that, she, if the company is targeting Asia specifically because they think Jessica Alba has influence there, they would know that better than me. But to your point, International is a huge opportunity for this business, currently making up 2% of sales. And that's really just in Canada and Europe. So the company has barely even scratched the surface in those markets, let alone Asia. But even in the United States, there's plenty of room for this company to grow. If this business does not work out for investors, it's not because of lack of opportunity.
1: And now let's talk a little bit about the financial performance here for The Honest Company, because I'm not quite sure it's up to par, at least not, in my opinion, not terrible, but this is a company that is a very low margin, um, although those margins are expanding. In the most recent year, revenue grew 28%. Granted, that's coming off the back of what was a, a pretty stellar and unusual, seems like, year for this business.
0: Yeah, 2020 was a good year for this company. Its revenue growth came in at 28% to just over $300 million. If you zoom out further and look at the three-year view, the total revenue growth rate for this company was actually much lower. It was a 12% compound annual growth rate one reason for that number though is because this company has been divesting some of its non-core products at its as it calls them and to ref- be refocusing on just its core product segments. If you look at just the core product segments, that three-year revenue Kager is around 19%. Um, so that should give you, I think, a better idea of what the long-term revenue growth trajectory for the, for this company is. I don't know how sustainable that 28% uh, is, although it's possible that it, that it could be. Now, just one step below that on the income statement is the, the gross margin rate. As you'd expect for a consumer product goods, they're okay margins. They're not like fantastic margins, but they are trending in the right direction. So three years ago, this company's gross margin was 25%. Last year, that number jumped to 36%, and it's still rising. Uh, So revenue growth is trending in, in the right direction, and so is gross margin. Now, the company is spending aggressively, especially on its marketing capabilities to get its name out there. As a result, it is producing a net loss in the bottom line. Last year, its net loss was about $15 million. But post-IPO, this company had $110 million in cash in its books and no debt. So that net loss is easily fundable.
1: And when I think about the marketing costs here, marketing costs over the past year have outpaced Revenue growth, which to me is typically a a red flag, especially with these types of businesses that are are unprofitable and are, you know, demanding, I guess, so much marketing dollars just to acquire that customer. But what's worth noting is that given the gross margin expansion, which has expanded um, from 20, just over 25% in 2018 to just around 36% over the past year and 2020. That has meant that their gross profit has also matched that marketing spend. So They're getting some sort of leverage when they look at their expansion, but I'm curious what you think about the balance sheet here. So When you look at moving past the income statement, looking at their financial performance, how do you feel about the company's balance sheet, especially considering that they spent their IPO proceeds to largely cash out existing shareholders?
0: Again, I wish the majority of those proceeds went to this company because I like this company more if it had $300 million on its balance sheet as opposed to just $110 uh, million. And some of its uh, some of the money that it raised immediately went into working, uh, working capital for this company. So they raised their account receivables and their inventory uh, balance. That makes sense given that this company is in growth mode and it needs to invest in those things in order to maintain uh, its growth rate. So the balance sheet is in... Uh, Healthy shape, but it would have been an even even better shape had it uh, realized all those uh, the proceeds from its IPO itself.
1: I'm gonna get into some of the the bones I had to pick with this S one a little bit later. I will say the financial performance is, is not one of them. Although I I suppose a prudent investor could spend a bit of time digging it apart. Um, they but before I get into what was lacking, let's talk about one of the things that was more then explained in their s1 which was management corporate values um, esG right the corporate social responsibility that was something that was extremely highlighted in this business's s1 how did you feel about the management team and how they laid that out?
0: Yeah, so Jessica Alba is no longer the founder herself. Uh, she is still involved with this company as the company's chief creative officer. But a few years ago, she hired uh, somebody named uh, Nick uh, Vlejos to kind of take over, uh, take over the roles uh, as a CEO. So he is currently uh, the CEO. To your point, one thing that they really highlighted in their uh, S one was just how just how woman uh, focused they are and inclusive uh, this company is. So they did say, quote unquote, people of color represented more than half of our uh, nearly half of our total workforce, and women represent sixty eight percent of our total workforce, including more than fifty three percent of our leadership team. Uh, given this company's focus on uh, diapers, personal care products, that's something that I really love to see because this is a brand and this is a company that will really appeal to moms. So having women up and down this organization making decisions uh, really should make investors feel good.
1: Yeah, it's a pet peeve of mine when you have a business that is so heavily focused on a female audience that is run by mainly men. Not that there's an incapability there, but it always just kind of highlights the disconnect, I think, that people see between being a customer and then being in management. Hopefully, having those two things more aligned here in the case of the honest company that will hopefully align the core customers and the needs of the core customers with the leaders who are making decision. One of the things that I found interesting was when they talked about their addressable market, we we didn't mention this, but they really didn't define what their, their core customer is. The only thing they said is that their target customer is someone who is modern. Aspirational, conscious, style forward. They didn't clarify gender. They didn't clarify age, geography, ethnicity, or even income levels, despite this being a slightly premium product, not aggressively so, but it's more expensive than your, your Huggies, for instance. So putting all that together, I found it interesting and, and kind of a weird decision, I guess, to highlight the diversity of, of the team at which is running this company, but then be so vague and broad with the lack of diversity, I suppose, of their their core customer.
0: Yeah, to me, if I was to define this company's core customer, it would just be Whole Food shopper. If you're the type (laughs) of consumer that's going to uh, lay out money, extra money, to buy better for you foods, such as uh, organic foods and stuff, uh, you're also going to probably be attracted to uh, the products that uh, that uh, Honest uh, the Honest Company makes. So that, to me, is how I justify it. And again, we both know that that's that's a category of consumers uh, that, is growing, that is growing rapidly. So to your point, these products are priced at a premium when you compare them to kind of what exists out there. But the numbers clearly show that consumers are willing to pay that premium if they feel that what they're getting on the other side is worthwhile to them. And for a growing number of consumers, I do think that that, 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 uh, that message will resonate.
1: I know that one of the biggest risks that you wanted to highlight and talk more about is competition. But before you do so, um, I'm going to talk about what I perceive to be, I, I, maybe a risk is a strong word. This pet peeve I have, which is they really didn't break down any of their customer metrics. And it's something that I, maybe I've become spoiled with over the years, but I don't like it when a business that is so dependent upon acquiring and retaining customers provides zero metrics about customer acquisition costs, lifetime values, even retention, anything like that. It actually felt empty to me. I'm desperately reading through all the pages of this S1 looking for any sort of connection. The only thing we were given was this assertion that they have a goal of capturing significant wallet share, high repeat purchasing rates, and attractive customer lifetime value. That's a goal, and they didn't quantify any of that as it exists today. So how you achieve a goal without having any quantifiable base to build off of, to me is kind of lackluster. It's a goal that is not quantified, is not tracked, is not transparent to shareholders. So it's not really a resounding statement. And I find myself as an investor reading that statement thinking, man, they must have a really bad repeat purchasing rate, really unattractive customer acquisition costs and a really high churn rate for their customers if they're not breaking those metrics out for us.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a fair criticism I mean as prep for the show I did go to uh, honestcom and search around and pretend that I was gonna be a diaper customer because it wasn't all that long ago that I was buying diapers uh, hand over fist and if you go through there if you go through there there's their um, their their process it's very clear that they are trying to push you to the subscribe and save option which uh, from what I checked um, it looks like you save about 17 percent uh, for for automatically enrolling in a in an auto shipment of Uh, Of the diapers that uh, come to your door. So yeah, it would have been great if they reported, hey, we have this many million uh, auto-enrolled consumers and uh, here is our repeat and here is our churn. The fact that they didn't put that in there does speak volumes. On the flip side, Emily, I will say that you have to remember that diapers in particular, which again are the book of the sales, that's not something you buy forever. I mean, your kids are in diapers for a set period of time, and then they graduate. You're out, not uh, still of you're not still wearing <laughs> diapers. Am I the only one still doing that? <laughs> so, so from that perspective, you can't you can't com- you could you can't possibly compare that churn rate to what you would for a SaaS company or something like that. Fair so,
1: fair argument.
0: So that's that could be why they, they left it out. But yes, like you, I would have loved to see a little bit more in there about uh, customer acquisition cost or or something along those lines.
1: Okay, I want to hear your argument about competition here. Um, you being, you know, I guess as you pointed out, a, a buyer of diapers at one point in your life. I imagine I was a buyer of diapers. I don't remember it. Um, what do you make about competition here?
0: Yeah, so there's no secret that there is a lot of competition, and uh, just in the company's S one, they list companies like Kimberly Clark, Procter and Gramble, Johnson and Johnson. Water Wipes, Clorox, Unilever, uh, Estee Lauder, L'Oreal, Wreck-It uh, Uni, uh Unilever PLC, as not to mention the countless number of smaller upstart brands uh, that are trying to do exactly the same thing that Honest is doing and using digital channels uh, such as Facebook and Instagram to, to promote themselves. I mean, I can't even tell you how many ads I get when I go on Facebook and Instagram for products that are similar uh, to these. So, there is a ton of competition in each of the, the categories. Now, this competition has been there the entire time, and Honest has grown even with all that going against it, because I think of, again, the brand and the asset this, that this company has that nobody else does, Jessica Alba. But still, it's important to note that this is a extremely competitive market.
1: When you look at this business model, the valuation you see today, Uh, Jessica Alba and its prospects. I'm, I'm interested, are you a buyer of this business model? Why or why not?
0: So I think that there's a lot of positives here, and there's a, there's a couple of not, uh, negatives. Uh, so I like the the founding story. I like that this company is mission uh, driven. I like that they are clearly innovating. They're rolling out new products that are having success. Uh, I think the brand is pretty strong. Uh, we didn't get into it, but the gross margin uh, is improving. Uh, two years ago, the gross margin was 25%. Now it's 36. Uh, that's 36%. So that's heading in the right direction. I like that a lot of consumers uh, know this know this brand and are going directly to the website. I like that um, uh, the majority of employees at this business are women, and I like that they have a a clean balance sheet. Those are all positives. On the flip side, I don't like that this company is still losing money. Uh, The the losses are manageable, again, about $15 bucks uh, last year. That's trending in the right direction, but I wish it was a little bit closer to, to profitability. I don't like that it's not growing as fast as I kind of would have liked, liked to see. Uh, yes, they are expanding their du- their top line at a at a, a double digit uh, double digit rate, but given the stage that this company is at and and the brand power, I would have expected at least 30 or even 40 uh, rev- percent revenue growth from from this business. And I don't like that a huge chunk of the IPO proceeds are going to cash out shareholders as opposed to the company uh, itself. One other thing that's worth knowing is while this company company touts itself as a mission-driven company and, and pro, uh, so pro-women and stuff like uh, that. If you look at their Glassdoor ratings, I just naturally expected they were going to be off-the-charts stellar. They're just okay. Uh, the, the CEO, Nick Vallejos, gets 3.6 stars out of 5 and a 72% CEO approval rating. The company itself gets a 63% recommends to a uh, friend rating. That is not nearly as high as I was expecting it to be. So while the company kind of puts forward a very cheery face about its culture and inclusiveness, it's possible that actually working at the company might not meet that expectations. So if you combine all that together, I would say I'm interested in this company. I'm rooting for this company. But unless its growth rate seriously accelerates, I wouldn't be a buyer. How about you?
1: I actually agree with everything you said. This is the type of business where I always feel like I will buy their product any day of the week, but I'm not sure if I'm a buyer of their business or in this case, their stock in particular. And it's, I think probably a great business, a fine private business probably makes a lot of employees and internal shareholders really wealthy. But as a public company, I'm not sure the business model as it stands today is all that viable given how small they are and how competitive this space is, it kind of felt like I was reading through this S-1. The feeling I had was that I was trying to be convinced that a rising tide will lift all boats. This natural market with a great mission-driven company, I mean, they're just at the right place at the right time, and this is going to benefit everyone. I When I got down to a more granular lever, le- level, so not top-down, looking more bottom-up, I couldn't figure out what it was about their approach in particular that made them really special. And I think that's probably where I get hung up a little bit. I had a lack of detail, not only about their core customers, I had a lack of detail about their strategy for even expanding internationally, which was critical for them. I had a lack of detail about and customer metrics—what they internally were looking to improve—a couple of weeks ago, Asad and I um, talked about Coupang on industry focus. And one of the things I really liked was that leadership had a very metric-driven approach to how they were going to judge success. And one of those factors was, you know, internal free cash flow. And I, I love the fact that they were able to quantify what their goal was. I wish I had a little bit more of a quantifiable goal here. And maybe this goes back to the mission statement. Maybe this goes back to how vague everything felt in this S1. I lack details at every level, starting from the mission statement all the way down to their customer, to their strategy, to their core performance. So for that reason, you know, the products seem great. The leadership seems wonderful. I'm not a buyer though of this business, not today.
0: Fair enough. It's one that you can put on your radar. And if this company, again, really, because of the IPO, gets some, uh, uses that extra cash to really reinvest in themselves and accelerate the growth rate, I could see myself being interested in this business. But like you, for right now, I'm just more interested in being a consumer of their products and not an investor.
1: Well, Brian, if at any point in the future, your opinion about this company changes and you find yourself interested in becoming a buyer, I want you back on the show to explain to me why. Give me the hard sell that I was missing in this this S-1, and maybe we'll have to circle back on it.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a plan, Emily.
1: <laughs> Thanks again, Brian.
0: I'm very happy that you now know who Jessica Alba is, Emily.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am too. Everybody listening is too, I'm sure. <laughs> Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out to say hi, you can always shoot us an email at fool.com or tweet at us at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Brian Faraldi, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on!